So now, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Howdy, hey, Randall K. coming to you live from magnificent Middle Tennessee on this Sunday evening, January 10th, for another edition of Bible News Radio, a.k.a. for Sunday evening, Sunday in the Scriptures. And I remembered, started the audio this evening, so no do-overs. Last week's show I ended up taking down the platforms because I need to shave off that 24 minutes of silence at the beginning and uh, repost it. Sounds like this is breaking up a little bit. I don't know if it's just the, um, maybe not, maybe it's just my phones, but anyway, uh, good to be with you all. I saw somebody out there hanging out on, uh, YouTube about five minutes before the show started and, uh, thank you for your diligence and sticking around. I'm going to spend some time here in the beginning just making sure that uh, we're rolling out everywhere we ought to be on, and uh, things look good on YouTube, popping over to Periscope, which is around till uh, through March, I believe. Let me uh, view the broadcast officially. Yeah, it looks like that's going alright. Over in Facebook world, we're good to go. And uh, in the world of Twitch, we're on. All right, good stuff. Now, I suppose in the tradition of a good church service type thing, I should give all the announcements and uh, tell you what's going on and go through the prayer list, things like that. But I don't have any. I don't have any announcements in front of me. Uh, I would ask you to, you know, through the broadcast, pay attention to this ticker down here. Uh, that's where your announcements are. Some uh, important things to take a look at. And this is a good time, now that that song's over, to mute that channel. Yeah, I am. Alright, that's good to go. That was a little ditty that I uh, produced, slash composed, I don't know how long ago. I've got several of my own compositions online and in various places, not as many as there used to be, but anyway, uh, I consider myself uh, a composer of sorts, music producer, having started off in college as a music major, but didn't finish that degree because I didn't think it would be practical. Uh, but no, not a degree in Bible either, a uh, degree in computer information systems of all things. Anyway, so... Tonight we're going to be looking at uh, the latter part of Matthew chapter 9, uh, Matitiru's Gospel. You want to get all uh, Hebrew about it, and usually I kind of do. Uh, tonight, rather than using a more literal version, uh, I'm going to be using a more popular English translation, uh, New King James uh, Version, which is still a good translation. Uh, but it doesn't tend to be as literal or uh, preserve the Hebrew flavor as some translations do. And the reason I'm specifically using a more popular English translation 
is to bring out the differences of things we miss when we look at things from a, a Western mindset and specifically a you know a 21st century Western mindset. The, the New Testament was not written by English scholars in the Middle Ages, just so you know. <laughs> the New Testament was written by Jewish authors in the first century. And without that mindset or that view, we miss a lot of things uh, that are contained within the scriptures. And of course, you want to go back to the Old Testament. We're talking about Jewish authors in you know, several centuries B.C., but, uh, so, anyway, uh, just making sure, again, that everything's fine. If you're out there watching on any of these platforms, be sure to drop something in the a chat room so I can give you a shout-out. I see there's a viewer, a viewer on Twitch. Hey, Twitch viewer. Um, don't look like anybody's out on Facebook right now. There was somebody, but we lost them. And, um... Okay, there's I assume the Periscope viewers. There's I show whole three of you. All right, three. It's a good number, and uh, and at least one person watching on YouTube. So yeah, be sure to say hello. And uh, oh, we've got the numbers on Periscope growing. That that's and that's why uh, your sweet and lovable host, my beautiful beloved bride, uh, spends. A few minutes at the beginning doing a bit of a monologue and talking about things because she knows it takes some time for people to get their notifications and and come into the various um, broadcast platforms but uh, I guess I've been doing okay rambling on huh I'm not I'm not an extemporaneous speaker so you know, I do I do well when I'm prepared I'm I'm often asked to speak for uh, different occasions and organizations. Uh, I do well as a speaker, but I prepared. I've had an outline, I practice, and that kind of thing. Just off the cuff is is not my thing. All right, so everything's going good. Let's uh, get into this and get into this prayerfully, shall we? Um, because, again, the Bible is the only book that comes with its author, and the author is alive and well. Maybe not the author who signed his name to the book, you know, as, you know, Paul or Timothy, Sylvanus, whomever, but the ultimate author, the creator of all the earth. Uh, the scriptures are God-breathed, Paul writes in his epistle to Timothy, uh, that um, the ultimate author is alive and well, um, never-ending, limitless, and so it makes sense to seek him for understanding when approaching his word. So let us pray, and then we'll get into it. Father God, you are the great I Am, the Almighty God, the one who has breathed life not only into living beings, but your living word as well, the scriptures which have been preserved throughout the ages, um, prepared and preserved throughout the ages, that they might equip us, lead us to you, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, uh, Yeshua the Messiah. Uh, we pray that uh, as we read 
you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, spirits that are receptive to the leading of your spirit, that we might receive all that you have for us. This time is yours, our lives are yours, uh, to use as you will. This time we give it to you uh, for our good and mostly for your glory. Uh, this we pray in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, I'm going to find my little presentation here. So we are looking at, let's do a nice little a smooth transition here. The dead, the blind, and the mute, as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Matit Yahu, uh, chapter 9, verses 18 through 38. And um, so, stand by. I get things sort of coordinated here. There we go. Looking for my slide controller. Now, why is that not showing? Because I need to do that. Okay. So, starting with the dead. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 and 19. While he spoke these things to them, and of course, you've got to go back up further in the chapter to find out what those things were. Uh, basically, why he was doing what he was doing. Um, anyway, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, or might be translated as, as dead by now, uh, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Now, I've bolded the word worshipped there. It's not bolded in the translation. I bolded it there to remind me for that footnote at the bottom there that the word worshipped there in, in, in the English, in the Greek, is proskunai. Uh, now, proskunai is this particular form in the verb, in the grammar. The... The verb in its infinitive form, uh, proskuneo, um, is a compound word coming from pros, which means towards, and uh, kune, which means to kiss. And so proskuneo means to kiss toward. It doesn't mean to blow a kiss toward, but it actually paints a picture of basically kissing the ground. Um, it's, it's laying prostrate out. It's doing obeisance, you know. Uh, to a potentate, to a king, yeah. maybe you, uh, <laughs> maybe you rock and rollers out there, uh, maybe if you're familiar with Bill and Ted, you know, we're not worthy, we're not worthy, you know, uh, knees to the ground and bowing palms down to the ground, you know, putting the head down um, to the ground, uh, kissing toward the ground, and so what we have here. When the ruler comes to Jesus in worship, he's not, didn't have a tambourine and he's singing and, um, lift up my hands in the sanctuary. No, he's like prostrate, falls before, falls before Jesus. And he says, never mind the, um, navigation there, 
pop navigation. Came and worshipped him, just falls at his feet and says, my daughter's just died, or she's dead by now. When I left her, she was dying. She's just good as dead. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. I love the demonstration of faith here. Uh, it's it's one of course the worship we look at that what it means to to worship him and recognizing jesus as the master the one to bow before the one to fall on his face before and jesus doesn't have a problem with that you see um and he says my daughter's just died or by now she's dead um and but you know he's not saying and and you know, that sucks, and I'm grieving I lost my daughter. The faith that he has in the Lord to say, but if you come, if you come and lay your hand on her, she'll live. Uh, that's the kind of faith that he has uh, in the Lord. And this is this is before the crucifixion, this is before the resurrection, this is before the Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This is Jesus, before his ascension, he was walking around, speaking with words of authority, healing the sick, raising the dead, and um, I don't know how much of that this particular uh, guy um, witnessed, but he knew enough to know that Jesus could do this. Um, so... I suspect that Jesus was a stranger to him. He didn't have a relationship. He wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the twelve that followed around. Uh, it's just, just faith based on what he knew, you know, what he had heard, uh, based on the, the rumors and scuttlebutt. You know, maybe he had seen some things. I, I don't know if he was in one of those crowds that was fed with multiplied bread and fish. We don't know, but no mention of him until this point. Um, that kind of fate, just from um, an outside knowledge, is is impressive to me. But uh, next slide. So Jesus is goes to follow him and is interrupted along the way with this unscheduled ministry. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Now, Luke, the beloved physician, uh, gives us a lot more detail in uh, his gospel, Luke chapter 8. And, of course, being a medical doctor, he has a little bit uh, different view of it. And um, not conflicting, but he provides more information. And, of course, as he sets out, in the beginning of his gospel, uh, he interviewed many eyewitnesses to put together an orderly account of uh, what Jesus had done and said. And so he probably got input from other people. Matthew was writing from Matthew's perspective. He was there, and, and these are the things that he bothered to record. I'm going to sneeze.
Alright, it's not the COVID. I'm pretty sure it isn't. <laughs> just allergies kind of thing. Um, it'll be that in the cold, dry air outside and coming into the warm, dry air inside. And Anyway, it just irritates my nasal passages. Anyway, so... Um, so Luke chapter 8, you know, uh, Luke records more information about this incident. He mentions that this woman um, had spent all her livelihood on physicians trying to get help, and she wasn't healed at all. Um, um, you know, things weren't improving. And, and he mentions that when this woman touched Jesus garment jesus asked who touched me uh with this and there was a crowd thronging him uh luke tells us and and everyone denied i didn't touch you (laughs) i don't be accused he says who touched me they're like uh you know not me even if probably did and peter cephas says what do you mean, who touched you? You see all these people pressing in, this mob around you, and you're going to say, like, who touched me? And But he specifically says, somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. And anyway, Luke chapter 8, you can um, go read that at your leisure. But I bolded here the word hem, uh, she came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. Now, in our Western mindset, we probably picture uh, this woman kind of crawling along the ground and reaches up and touches like the bar- bottom of his robe near his ankles kind of thing. That's what we think of hem. We think of a hem of a dress or a, uh, a hem of, you know, pant legs, you know, trousers, something like that. But... Again, we see the word ham and we think Western things. But the word there in the Greek underlying the English word ham is, um, there I've got it at the bottom, kraspedu. Uh, and uh, specifically, that means fringes or fringe garment and, and more and more properly tassels, tassels. On a garment, a fringe garment with tassels, with large tassels. Craspedon uh, is what is that word means, uh, and it's in its truest sense. And so, why would this woman say to herself, you know, come up? I just touched the the tassels of garment. Well, why would he have tassels? Well, uh, because he was a good Jewish man, and he was an observer of the law. And according to Numbers 15, chapter uh, Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41, I can speak. Um, he would have tassels on his garment, uh, you know, because the um, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments uh, through their generations, and put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners." And goes on to say it's to remind them of, of the commandments. And to this day, you'll find a Jewish men, they have these um, these tassels, these tzitzit, um to get Hebrew about it, on the four corners of their garments. Now, the garments have changed over the years. Uh, you know, you 
be a robe and they put you know the tassels on the corners nowadays it's more like a, a poncho that you can wear under a shirt just a kind of a lightweight poncho but it has the tassels hanging down the seat seat uh, on the four corners of the tassels and it has the blue thread in it just like um uh, numbers 15 says and deuteronomy uh 22 verse 12 i think it is uh talks again about having the tassels on the four corners of the garments and uh, these days there's specific there's eight strands with five knots tied in them and and that's because the word seat seat each hebrew letter has a numeric value and seats these adds up to uh 600 and then with the 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 eight strands and the five knots that's 13 and that's to uh add up to 613 there's 613 um meets vote 613 commandments in the old testament all that for free so all that going back to uh this woman why would she want to touch the hem or the tassels of his garment uh because those tassels again representing uh, the law and often uh, if if Yeshua had used Jesus had used a prayer shawl uh, the the seat seat the tassels would have been on the four corners of that and prayer being you know a, a time with God so the so the tassels representing the, the commandments and in a relationship with God and prayer if it's on a uh, talit a uh, prayer shawl and so I could see this woman, you know, here's a man of God and um, a clear representation, material representation of that godly relationship and power would be the seat, seat, the, the, the tassels on the four corners of his clothing. And so anyway... That all for free. That gives a stronger picture of why she would come from behind and touch the tassels of his garment or a tassel on one of the corners. Uh, if I only may touch his garment, I shall be made well. And again, that's this faith pressing in. Here's the woman that had this, uh, this issue of blood, this hemorrhage uh, for, for 12 years and... And assuming this is feminine hemorrhage, which it likely was, as suggested by the text, she would have been considered unclean and anywhere she sat, considered unclean, and she would have been pretty much similar to having leprosy. As long as she had that flow, she was separated from the general populace. Uh, she could be with other women during uh, their menstruation, uh, but um, I think up to a point, but since it never stopped, she may have been, I'd have to go back and check the uh, Levitical law. But, you know, 12 years and, and most was probably, okay, this is my lot in life. Yeah, I'm ready to, I'm resigned to this. This is what it is. And and the Lord is just using this this suffering to teach me better things. But she, when she learns of Messiah come, there's a crowd going on. Luke 
8 tells us, and she presses through the crowd and presses through. And not if I can get him to lay hands on me, if he says whatever. If I can just touch the tassel, just one of the seat seat on his, his talit, uh, you know, that uh, one of those tassels. I'm, I'll have that connection. I will be made well. You know, there's there's nothing there's nothing in the law of Moses that or in the Torah that says or any example that I'm aware of in the in the prophets or the writings that says touching a tassel, one of those tassels will unleash uh, power from Messiah. But for her, just having that connection, that much of a connection with Jesus. She was confident that she would be made well, and and indeed she was. Let me uh, jump out to see if I'm not missing any important comments here. 16.40 a.m. over there on uh, Periscope, and uh, y'all are quiet on Twitch and Facebook, the world of YouTube. I see y'all watching. Uh, don't be shy. At least say hello. And uh, anytime during this, questions, comments, concerns, go ahead and pop those in. Hey, Bible News Radio is watching the Bible News Radio on uh, <laughs> YouTube. All right, so. All right. Back to my clicker here, and we'll. Um, next slide. All right, going back to the dead, <laughs> continuing with the dead. You know, he had this unscheduled ministry, and I just wanted to put in there, that, you know, the, the unscheduled ministry. We may have a specific, God may be leading us to a specific thing, go a specific place, minister to a specific person, but help us to be like Jesus says, or those born of the Spirit, when he spoke to Nicodemus, I said, the, like the wind, the wind blows, you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, so are those born of the Spirit. We should be ready to just be moved by the Spirit to wherever he would lead us. Uh, they're quite, uh, quite probably, yeah, could be something that's not on our itinerary, even if it's a good Thing of ministry. Um, there may be something that comes in from the side or from behind, <laughs> like this woman from behind him, but a good thing where the Lord would have some ministry for us, unscheduled, unplanned, not on our itinerary, but that we would be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, not to miss those opportunities. All right, just wanted to throw it to them. Back to the dead people. Verse 23, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put aside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose and the report uh, of this went out into all the land. And couple of the gospel writers record this for us as well. Mark and Luke, I believe. I can't tell you what chapter. Um, but 
again, here's here's doing ministry. The 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 ruler, and it's probably rule, the synagogue ruler, uh, likely. And uh, when he comes to Jesus, it's like, hey, my daughter's just died, or she's dead by now. But you'll make the difference if you come and lay a hand on her. She'll she'll rise. Um, and this is the guy that fell on his face before the Lord, and uh, and Jesus comes. What I want, what stands out to me here, is the reaction. the The bulk people, <laughs> the flute players, and the noisy crowds. So there were professional whalers as well as. Uh, likely as well as genuine mourners, people knew the family. Uh, but look at the reception. Make room for the girls not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Um, no doubt, when we go to do ministry, there are going to be plenty of naysayers. It's going to be the bulk of people that are going to give us flack for it especially if you want to go pray for someone who's sick you know do something like that um heck i don't know you know maybe uh god would have you pray to to raise the dead such things have happened um not much in the western world i think because of lack of faith but uh heard pl plenty of testimony from the, the mission field uh, which which is definitely believable uh, where faith had place to move. But, you know, whatever you're going to do in the name of the Lord for ministry, to minister to someone, don't be surprised if the majority of people give you flack for it. They ridicule you. Um, Jesus said the... the the servant is not greater than his master. The student is not greater than the master. So they hated me, they hate you. I mean, they gave Jesus a terrible time uh, coming into the situation. They ridiculed him when he came to raise this girl from the dead. Um, yeah, if you if you go to do something um, that's not generally acceptable in terms of ministering to someone. Again, don't be surprised if uh, folks give you flag for it. They ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, good tip there. You know, the, the, the scoffers, the mockers, the skeptics are going to be that, no matter what's presented to them. And... And when someone's looking for ministry, prayer, healing, whatever it is, it's um, often that work is easier done when the when the peanut gallery is put outside. Um, after all, it's not there for a show. It's not there for a stage show to uh, bring in the money. Um, genuine ministry is often better done without uh, the looky-loos, especially if they're uh, mockers and scoffers. So, uh, he put them outside, took the girl by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land, and received in different ways, I suspect.
All right, going on to the blind, verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him. And you're like, well, well how do they follow him? Uh, well, if, <laughs> if a large crowd was following him, it, it wouldn't be hard to know where he was going. Um, and I doubt it was a silent crowd tiptoeing along the road. You know, this this is one who just um, rose a girl from the dead. And so I'm, I suspect there's a great deal of clamor accompanying him. And that's why they cry out. They have to cry out. And so they're heard. They're crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, Son of David recognized see there that they recognize him as Messiah, the promised uh, heir of David. Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, so again, the, the crowds are outside. Um, I, I guess somehow, you know, they accompanied him inside. When he had come into the house, a blind man came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows this, knows it. Um, but they had, when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Now, a lot of people put this uh, put this undue um, pressure and guilt sometimes be well you know I prayed for you weren't healed because you lacked faith you know it's your faith that you, know, you gotta have faith in it you didn't believe hard enough well when James tells the elders to pray he says the prayer of faith uh, shall save the sick so it's the, the ones praying to whom they belong. So what's this business about here when Jesus says, um, according to your faith, let it be to your faith has made you well, he told the woman. Well, again, it's, it's their extraordinary faith. This is not the risen Jesus, risen from the dead. This is not the one who, you know, to prove to be the son of God with power by rising from the dead. This is the one reported to be the Messiah, who there are rumors of raising the dead and healing people. Um, we have a ruler, synagogue ruler, that didn't walk with him, but came and fell on his face and, and said, my daughter's dead, uh, but if you lay a hand on her, she'll rise. We have this woman, 12 years, 12 years, rather than be resigned to it, she pressed through a crowd and, and said, if I could just grab hold of one of those tassels on the corner of his garment, I'm going to experience uh, power from him. We have these blind men who we know for a fact had never seen him before or watched these miracles uh, performed because they were blind. Uh, but they heard about him. He's passing by. And so the son of David, have mercy on us. That that faith, just just hearsay about Jesus, that 
he's able to do something for them. So, if they had come to him looking to trip him up, <laughs> we, we see the religious leaders asking him questions, not to not to be recipients of his profound wisdom or his spiritual insights, but we see more often to trip him up, to trap him in something. Um, so, you know, could be some blind would come to him, I bet he can't do anything, you know, don't expect anything from, if, you know, they who wouldn't be expecting me? I'm, my brain's going too fast, fast in my mouth, but, the faith is extraordinary here. It's not that the that if you have enough faith, faith is the thing that heals. Jesus is the one who heals. Um, the power of Christ heals. It's not faith that heals. Um, their faith gave them access to the power that heals. They again, just based on what they heard. Um, and heard Jesus passing by, what they knew of him caused them to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. That's that's great, great faith that gave them access to him. The faith of the woman that allowed her to press through the crowd. Um, uh, those are things we're about to see a healing that didn't involve faith at all. Um, but... I want to get across that part that the faith isn't what heals. It's it's the power of God in Christ that heals. It's faith that gave them access to him and his power. When so many, like the when he said the girl's not dead but sleeping, they ridiculed him. A um, bunch of people thronging him. There's only one woman that pressed through the crowd to, to touch his tass, the tassel on his garment. Um, anyway, I hope you're getting the picture there. All right. Popping out to Periscope. I know Jonathan Coe's out there and joining, or was. And Facebook people still quiet. Twitch people still quiet. This is just, this is all riveting to you, folks. All right. Let's, let's press on. Um, again. Got to come up with my virtual clicker here. So I can bring up next slide, please. As they went out, that would be Jesus and those with him. They brought to him a man, mute and demon possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitude marveled, saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. Now, this miracle is recorded in other Gospels. I know it's in Mark, and I want to say in Luke, but I'm not sure. Excuse me. But, um, and in one of those gospels there's the sort of immediate comparison 
where the Lord casts out the demon in the and the guy in the tombs and says, you know, ask the demon his name, and he says, you know, my name is Legion, for we are many, etc. Um, here, someone, some people bring to Jesus, bring to Yeshua, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. I don't think they knew that he was demon-possessed. They knew he was mute, that was clear, because he couldn't speak. And how would you know that muteness was not genetic, uh, not the cause of some sort of fever, but the muteness was caused by a demon? Um, that would be impossible to tell. And so when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. I suspect that this man was brought not because he was believed to be demon-possessed, but because he was mute. They wanted him cured of his muteness. They bring him to Jesus. Jesus cast the demon out, and then he spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It, is never, it was never seen like this in Yisrael. Why? Because... Because demons have been cast out by speaking to the demon through the person, encountering the demon and casting the demon out. And it's clear they're demon-possessed because of things they say and do. And I've encountered, um, I've encountered someone demon-possessed. I was, I was not, I was just a new believer, didn't know what to do about it other than to be scared of the person. Um... Did I have a conversation with the demon? No, but it was it was clear this guy the things that the blasphemies that came out of his mouth, and he was out of control in the nighttime, and um, yeah, it said some unsavory things about Christ and and just perverse things, and 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 see him punching the air in the daytime. He was man was obviously disturbed and then um, one day a friend and a friend of mine and me and I a friend of mine and I were walking into a supermarket and he was seated outside and he looked straight at us this guy and with what seemed like perfect presence of mind other times he was just wild and beat in the air and just seemed just out of control physically, mentally, and otherwise. And the calmness looked at us and with a, a cold stare I will never forget as long as I live. It was, it was kind of like the lights are on in someone else's home. Look in his eyes, looked at us and said, how are you doing tonight, boys? And... I'll just say it creepy as hell. I mean, because I think it was hellish. And um, um, it, it wasn't a normal human being look. And um, it sent shivers down my spine. And something in my spirit said, that's not a human spirit. And um, But not having faith, boldness, knowledge, didn't have wouldn't um uh, didn't have any clue what to do about it um not that i've ever 
participated in exorcism, anything like that, but I think at least today, um, I would, uh, say something, uh, to the demon, um, on behalf of the man for his deliverance, or at least stand there and pray if I didn't, um, get involved in a, you know, direct exorcism. Anyway, um, so here's, here's a guy who's mute, okay? This is, he didn't say anything creepy. He never said, he hadn't said anything in a long time. Um, so who would, who would know that he was demon-possessed? Well, I tell you would know. Yeshua, Jesus would know that he was demon-possessed and cast out the demon, not by interacting with it, not just cast it out and the mute spoke. And that's why the multitudes marveled. And it, was, if, it was never seen like this. In uh, another gospel, we see a, a reaction of, um, that others react and say, could this be the son of David? Could, you know, could this be the Messiah? Because how else would you explain that here's this guy's brought because he's mute and Jesus knows it's demon possession that caused the muteness, casts the demon out and the man speaks. Well, of course, religious leaders had a different explanation. They didn't say, oh, could this be this? Son of David, could this be the Messiah? No, he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. Or we read another, um, another gospel, Beelzebul, which is the same thing, or Beelzebub. Um, the, the Hebrew term is Baal, which is a generic lord, which used of um, pagan gods, idols, Baal. We see that in the showdown between Eliyahu, Elijah, and the prophets of Baal. Baal Zebul, uh, which means uh, Lord of the lofty dwelling or the exalted Lord, which was the chief of demons for the pagan people. But um, uh, the, the Jews, to deride the pagan deity Baal Zebul, uh, changed the Lamed at the end of the name to Baalzebub, changed to Bait, and which instead of the lofty lord made it Lord of the Flies. And anyway, so ruler of demons, Baalzebub, um, that, that was the religious leader's explanation where they didn't want to accept him as Messiah. So how could they explain that he has the power to cast out a mutinous causing demon when no one no one even knew the man was demon possessed that his muteness was caused by demon possession and yet Yeshua Jesus casts out a demon well he's got demonic insight he casts out demons by the ruler of demons not that he could be the messiah the word become flesh God incarnate can't have that no we got to come up with something else there we go to cast out demons by the, the ruler of demons. And we learn uh, from, from the Gospels that at that point forward, uh, Yeshua Jesus begins to talk in parables, and uh, because the national leadership, 
um, you know, never seen like this in Israel and the religious leaders, the rulers of the nation say, cast out demon by the ruler of demons. And then it was like, okay, he's done. He's done dealing with the masses, uh, performing miracles to the masses because he's got that wholesale natural national uh, rejection and we see the Lord then dealing on with individuals individual healing stuff like that after this time um, but after this time we'll see this next slide uh, on at the same time um, in the same time frame and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But, and I bolded that, it's my bolding, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Why I bolded that but is because he healed every sickness. He's going out through all the cities and villages, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That's what they needed, right? Good to go. He healed their sickness. He healed their diseases. That's what anybody in this life ever needs. And then they should be good to go right because you know if you don't have your health you don't have anything but he healed every sickness every disease and so he did for them all that they would ever need right no but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion for them what they'd been healed no because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd uh, meeting their physical needs their health needs was one thing, but that's just one thing. He healed every sickness, every disease, but that didn't help them ultimately spiritually. Hopefully it moved them to faith when they saw they were healed uh, by the Lord, that his, his power was able to heal them. But he looked out, everybody's moved compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Um, meeting just their physical needs, meeting just their health needs wasn't the be-all, end-all. Um, folks out there, it's good to, it's good to, you know, feed and clothe the poor and, you know, feed the hungry, you know, clothe the poor, uh, minister healing. If the Lord gives us gifts of healings to do that, you know, in the name of Jesus, that's all good stuff. If we alleviate pain and suffering, that's good. But if we don't lead them to relationship with Jesus, with Messiah, they don't have a shepherd. If they're still shepherdless, they don't have a shepherd to guide them uh, through this life and into the next, then what good is it? Um, it's just temporary relief of earthly problems. But if we've not um, given them heavenly bread, the bread come from heaven, if we've not uh, given them Jesus, uh, we've not um, ultimately uh, 
ministered to them. So he healed every sickness, every disease, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So, help us wanted. Then he said to the disciples, looking at these people, weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's his harvest, it's his vineyard, and uh, his wheat fields, if you will. There's a few different uh, analogies given in scriptures comparing to those, you know, uh, his harvest field of human souls being like wheat, also like a vineyard, like grapes. Um, when sending work it out, workers out in the vineyard. Anyway, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I mean, it may be the multitudes will, you know, the crowds will ridicule you and laugh and scorn when you do, uh, when you go to perform ministry, maybe even religious leaders, you know, let's say things like we cast out demons by the prince of demons. Um, you know, you may run into flack and uh, get, um, you know, ridiculed when you choose to serve the Lord. And and the scripture tells us the Lord himself said, um, you know, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Uh, straight is the gate, restricting, narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. Even so, I don't know what that percentage is that the that go through this, you know, that go on the narrow way and through the straight gate. But it's still a lot of people there who are looking for the truth, who are looking for some. They're weary and they're scattered. They're wearied of what this world has to offer, especially in the times we're living. They're they're tired of it all. But they don't know where to turn. They're they're weary, but they're scattered. They're looking here. They're looking there. They're looking for something, looking for something that's stable. Looking for you know w what is truth, and you, fellow Christian, you have it. Um, uh, you can you can offer that. You can offer that to them. You can be a laborer in the field, or at least you know, be praying to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And uh, you may say, here am I, send me. But uh, certainly, uh, at least pray. Uh, if you're not a fellow Christian, if you are one of the weary and scattered that Jesus looked on, looked at the multitudes and saw them weary and scattered as sheep, having no shepherd. He offers this, looking ahead in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things, that is, these spiritual things, uh, these uh, spiritual truths of salvation comes through him and through faith, uh, that salvation is through faith alone, um, is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Uh, anyway, you can read Matthew chapter 11, see what things he's talking about. It says, you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. You want to know God? You want to come in a relationship with God? It's through the Son, the Son of God, the Word become flesh, the Messiah, Christ, Jesus. That's the way you come in a relationship with God. Therefore, he extends this invitation. Come to me, all you who all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Many of us are removed from an agricultural uh, society where animals are yoked together, um, oxen usually to plow a field, uh, something like that, dried out grain. Um, well, if they're yoked together, it'd be plowing to pull a plow. And, and often a more experienced animal yoked together with a younger one to to show them a way, show them the way of, you know, so they wouldn't, won't be, um, wild and trying to break free from the yoke and that it goes well when they're yoked together, they work together, uh, with the other animal. And he says, says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me just as that, um, an experienced animal would be be yoked up with Jesus learn from him for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls instead of being weary and scattered find rest and yoked together with Jesus not scattered but someone to follow having a shepherd for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and at the time, that was in direct contrast to Pharisaic Judaism. Not Judaism, biblical Judaism, but Pharisaic Judaism, where they heaped up all these laws upon laws and rules upon rules about what you could do on the Sabbath and and you know what you could eat and when you could eat it and how you could eat it and how you could wash your hands and, and just complicated things. And... And there are religions that way today that, that, you know, if you do this, this, and that, and that, you, you can earn your way to heaven, but you got to, you know, if you're good enough and do it, or, and, um, and Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Uh, 
it's not like you're set free to go through, go do whatever you feel like doing. There's still a yoke. You're still yoked from, together with him. You learn from him. Uh, but his yoke is easy. It doesn't add difficulty to an already weary existence. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a religious system that's going to heap stuff onto your already troubled life. His yoke is easy. His, his burden is light. It's not going to pile up on you a bunch of other things. To make life more difficult, the 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 offer that Jesus is extending is is one of of rest, and um, you know give, giving rest to your souls, and and finding relief, and finding truth, and finding direction, finding purpose for your life. That is the yoke that Jesus offers. And lastly, uh, another plea to you unemployed workers, you followers of Christ, you who are yoked together with him. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you're like, well, wait a minute, Rand. This was it says right, you know, verse verse 17. He's talking to the eleven. He this this going out into all, you know, all the nations and and making disciples. That's for that was for the apostles only. And, uh, you know, it's, that's not for me. I'm not supposed to go, wait a second. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Well, what's one thing that he commanded them? Right here, here's a command. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Didn't say teach them to observe all things that I commanded you, except for this last one. This this last one's only for you. Teach them everything, all things that I command you, except for teaching and you know making disciples. That's that's only your job. Don't don't let them have any part of that. Because because when you're all dead, when you apostles, you twelve, when you're all gone, I just I just want this I just want this Christianity thing to die out. You know I don't want to, it's going to be done with you. It's just a small window thing. I just wanted to be for this time in this place. No no teaching them all things that I've commanded you, including in those all things is this command to go make disciples. Not go make converts. Uh, get somebody to say the prayer and, you know, the, the, the sinner's prayer and wish them warm to be filled. Uh, you know, disciple them. If, if you live in a different place, you know, get in touch. Give a way to communicate on the phone, through Zoom, letters, whatever, that they might grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give them, uh, you know, a way to, for you to disciple them, or at least connect them with solid believers, you know, in their area. A, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching congregation, set them up there. Um, but the command is to go make disciples. 
And uh, so if you're an unemployed believer, uh, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray then the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers uh, out into the harvest. And as you're doing that, you just might have the same response as Isaiah did. Isaiah chapter 6 said, here am I, send me. All right, we're over the, um, we're past the top of the hour. I thank you for spending time with me. I'm going to take another quick bounce out, make sure I haven't uh, ignored anybody, say anything. I don't know what lowly in heart means. Okay. But yeah, Baal, yeah, is a generic term, uh, Joel. Uh, uh, Baal, that's a. Uh, what I want to say, I'll just say Semitic. I'm not sure what language. Uh, Baal is just generic. It means Lord, if you will, or you know. Um, and you'll see Baal affixed to various uh, pagan deities, deities, deities. Anyway, uh, uh, Baal this, Baal that. Sometimes regional. Uh, sometimes uh, anyway. Um. Uh, don't know what lowly in heart means. Um, the idea of, of lowly in heart is, is able to condescend, if you will. Um, let's, let's go ahead and uh, I'm going to just make sure I'm on the right page. Going to bring up the Greek text here. Chapter, oh, and uh, Matthew chapter 11. Stand by, stand by. Scroll to the end. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought. Um, let's see if I can bring this up for you here. And I'll just leave that lower third on there. Um, uh, for gentle I am and humble. Tapenos. Tapenos. Not os. That's an omicron, not omega. Uh, Tapenos. Humble. And if we look at the Greek word, uh, low-lying, lowly, lowly in spirit, humble, lowly in position, proper to low. Um, um, so, of course, we Luke uh, and exalted those who are humble. So, the idea is the Lord doesn't come as even though he is Lord and Master, doesn't come as one lording it over you. Um, but he's lowly in heart. He's humble. He'll, you know, he's the one to get down on his knees to the child and says, you know, hey, tell me, tell me, you know, why are you crying? Kind of thing. He's not. He's not the. He's not the type of uh, parent overseer to say, ah, quit your sniveling. I'll give you something to cry about. You know, it's no, he's the one to, you know, get down his knee, get 
humble himself, go eye to eye. And of course, in Philippians chapter 2, you know, Paul writes, you know, have this same mind as you that was in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be tenaciously held on to, but emptied himself of his privileges and humbled himself and took on likeness of a man and becoming a, becoming a servant, obedient to death, even death of the cross. You know, that's like serious being in very nature God, uh, leaving the heavenly realms to take on human flesh. I mean, that's, that's big time humility. And then and just not any human, but a servant, a servant to mankind. Would today was Communion Sunday in church, and looking at um, uh, where were we? Um, we were in Luke chapter nineteen, no twenty-two. Luke twenty-two, and you know, and it's other gospels too, where. He sets this example, you know, Simon Lord, but you know who's who, who's greater, the one who's who is reclines at the table, the one who serves the meal. And I said, Well, the one who reclines, you see it, I've I've served you. You know, he's the one who served that Passover meal, the, the Last Supper. And the life of Christ is one of continually humbling himself and is quick to point out that that's that should be our we should be imitators of him. So lowly in heart that he's not one to be an overlord, but one to, um, yeah, humble in heart makes more sense to me than lowly in heart. Yeah, I guess so. And it, I bet if we looked at different translations, we'll see uh, something, uh, um, you know, that maybe brings out that that sense a little more clearly. But yeah, humble in heart, if that works for you. So, all right. Hey, TR Fun Guy joined, and uh, just as I'm wrapping this up and closing it down, <laughs> welcome. You can uh, maybe catch a replay. But I am going to wrap it up here. So, as always, I do pray that the Lord will bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. And as my beloved, beautiful bride would tell you, uh, be bold. I'm looking off the side because I'm trying to find a good transition out. <laughs> be bold, stand up, and go with God. Because he loves you. He's a God that so loves God, demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, amazing grace, amazing love. What better motivation to go with him, to have him be the shepherd of our souls, uh, other than his humble-heartedness and his great love with which he's loved us. Ah, don't be a, don't be a scattered and weary sheep. Uh, be a sheep with a, a loving and gentle shepherd who will lead you and to green pastures and eternal life. Good night. God bless.